This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And uh, the world is a far better place after... um a Donald Trump State of the Union address, don't you think? It is. I, I actually feel revitalized, Ramon. Right. I mean, I, I, I didn't listen to it. No, neither did I. <laughs> but everyone's it's kind of like Black Panther. You know it's brilliant, even though you haven't watched it. Well, we don't know One yet. of those things. Unless no, you, you know. Ramon, don't say something racist. Black Panther is the best film ever made, without a doubt. <laughs> Apparently, the alt-right love it because the world in which it exists, yes. which is called Wakanda, yes. is like this film ethnos- mostly in South Korea, I might add. Oh, right. It's mm. this ethno-state. Yes. Of Wakandians. I don't know what the term is. Yes. Where they uh, culturally appropriated, uh, Oza as the language that they speak. Right. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's so woke. It's like beyond, it's like that, that meme with people's eyes lighting up. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. We didn't really want to go this way with this introduction. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> but anyway, back to the State of Union addresses. I think they should be permanently banned from the world. And the president should send out an email. Yeah, well, that's what used to happen in America is uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Jefferson, they all sent out letters to the Congress. They were That's what the American Constitution requires. And then I suppose everyone else has kind of copied it. Now we've got Jacob Zuma is meant to give a speech. Everyone's trying to get him fired before he gives the speech. Obviously, because he's going to promise everyone cars and houses, right? Um, but like not like in some time, like the ANC has been promising for 25 years, but like tomorrow. Tomorrow you get a car. But like, but as if the state of the nation address actually influences anything. I remember when they said five, six years ago that, you know, people only be able to own 12,000 hectares of land at any one time. Mm. Nothing has happened. And we're going to ban foreigners as well. Right, from ban foreigners them. from owning anything. Yeah. The one thing they, they do get right is if they mention any kind of tax implication in that speech, then that always gets implemented. Of course. Right. Yeah. Right, right. You need to feed the beast. <laughs> our lovely government. And the, and the beast is very hungry. But nevertheless. Okay, so to our a, beastly followers, let's feed them. <laughs> we've got a very, very fascinating guest. And we actually invited him on because I saw a few tweets of his uh, concerning dialogue, which would be, I think, interesting to talk about. So, um, Mr. Justin Spratt, welcome, sir. Cool, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure's all mine. So, head of, I'm trying to get this right, Business Development for Sub-Saharan Africa for Uber. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I got it right. So welcome to the show. And um, it appears that you are working, well, maybe not working on it, but you are interested in having a lot more debate in this country. Yeah, so I think the context here, my tweets were about trying to create a, an open dialogue platform. And I think the, the best methodology for that is, is a debate. You know, so we were talking and it's similar to the monk debates in, in Canada. Um, and, uh, just trying to f- provide a platform for both the intellectual right and left to unpack their ideas rather than just having, you know, the liberal media dominate a certain narrative, which is creating a, a gulf and, and an Ill- inability to have intelligent conversations. So the idea would be, you know, my, my original idea, which is still open to kind of work, was a, a not-for-profit. And the reason for that is to try and get it funded. Uh, and, of course, funding becomes difficult if it's seen as a right or a left thing or some kind of business is behind it. So so to, to ensure we get the, the left intellectuals to come and speak, it needs to be kind of uh, integrously funded. Uh, and so an MPO might be better. Also, we'd get the, the, the kind of key influences, the giants who don't need to do any of this kind of work to probably do it better if it wasn't for a profit. It, it's kind of telling that I have to spend a lot of time explaining why we wouldn't do for profit. But I think um, that explains a lot, of, a, a lot about, you know, the issues at hand and then you know fill that with a with a very powerful uh influential board um that would then be able to get us the the heavy hitters to 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 join this uh these dialogue events um but i think that just to finish off on the idea i see it as um almost like intellectual combat sports fighting for the future of uh civilization 
So, and I actually mean that it's, it sounds like very marketing and I, I quite like it, but it's actually true. I think the gap between being able to have the right conversations is threatening civilization as we know it. And no matter what, you know, what you say about that and, and all of its problems, um, it's very clear we're doing better than any other time in history yeah. uh, on, on, you know, a plethora of different measures. So it's important. The conversations aren't happening, which I think is, is a massive risk. So that's where we got to with this idea. All right. I mean, what, what, when you when you use the term civilization, what do you define? What do you define by that? Yeah. So I mean, look, for me, it's humans being more civilized. It's, to right. me, it's as very as very simple as that. So obviously, we have these primal or, or congenital um, uh, urges and needs, um, but as we go through society, we we decide that there's probably a set of norms and rules that allow us to behave in uh, more civilized ways. And what does that mean? That means, well, we're going to just be nicer to each other as reciprocity reciprocity for that niceness. And so then society can become a little bit more well-functioning in terms of health, education, you know, uh, housing and, and those kind of things. Well, I think, I think it's worthwhile. And, and you believe that that might not be happening as we speak, because I mean, I, I, I agree with you. It's not happening. And for one particular reason. So the biggest debates we have in the country are, are two really. There's the big debate on SABC and there's a daily maverick gathering. And the big debate on SABC is an absolute shit show. If you watch it, it's quite funny, but nothing objectively good comes out of there. It's just about people painting themselves into the corner um, and refusing to actually acknowledge that other people in the room are there or that good arguments are made. And the Daily Maverick Gathering, well, it's, it's uh, advertising for political parties, in my opinion. It's uh, a great event for John Flissmus. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I, I, I think he gets wonderful publicity out of it. Manages to push his his agency and and you know they do a good job organising it. That's without a doubt. But um, in terms of contributing to the landscape, other than creating a few Daily Maverick articles for the three or four days that follow, um, not very valuable. Um, is this more a South African thing? Because I'm I, I'm thinking while you're saying this, uh, there is some of this happening overseas in the American market, but then even then. I'm kind of thinking, well, it does t- tend to move it towards certain sides of the aisle. So uh, if I think about Ruben reports, he tries to have some debates, but it's always kind of a little bit of an echo chamber. Yeah, totally. uh, recently had one, Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. I mean, they're not going to disagree on much. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and, and, actually, and Sam Harris – which are actually pretty good. He had Ben Shapiro and Sam Harris. Yeah. And they fundamentally there was, there was his only one where there was a, there was a sort of someone who disagreed, yeah. um, or was on the other side. But it's interesting because he put, uh, Ben and Eric Weinstein together, who also are both on the right of the aisle, to be honest. Um, and then Sam kind of didn't really say much and they talk past each other. Um, so, and on the other stuff, you know, he, he'll have like Matt Dillahunty and, and people who he agrees with. So both sides are doing this thing where they avoid yeah, um, exactly. the opposite. It's not working. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So if you, I think the, the good, the right model is something similar to the monk debates in Canada. Go and have a look there. There was a great debate that I saw on the weekend, but it's, it's quite dated, uh, between Neil Ferguson and Farid Zakaria, mm. um, around this, uh, Around globalization. Um, and it had the audience measure the, the, you know, prior to the debate, what they felt and then after. And, and so there is actually a score. And I think there's something in that. Like, so we should score these things and we can do like test series. So like, for instance, if you had a, a, a leftist that was scared to do it on, on one show, we could say, okay, best of three. And I think the key thing here is it's not going for mass market appeal directly it's looking for the right type of mass influence and that subtlety is very very important so the way in which you architect it is very much um you know right versus left and there's enough of the co enough of the you know people willing to battle i think uh, to do that to answer your first question it would be for africa um which is also a bit of a strange kind of uh, definition. So it would probably start with South Africa, but I know like I, I do a lot of business into the continent. There's a lot of these debates that need to happen in Kenya and Nigeria, for, for instance. And there's, yeah. there's a big problem there. So, um, yeah, so the monk debate is, I guess, the kind of framework. The NPO is what allows you to keep it, um, 
not positioned right or left because that's mm. that's actually the problem. These things can't. The platforms come at this from the right or the left, and then you end up having that cohort, and it's already the same audience that is listening, and so you're convincing the same people of the same thing. That's not what's going to fix this problem. I I agree with that. Uh, Two concerns are so. First, I I think that currently the people we allow to be involved in these kinds of debates or discussions are, for want of a better word, idiots. So. you know, you look at uh, the most recent example I can think of is that Jordan Peterson interview with that uh, Kathy, I can't remember Newman. her surname, Newman, um, in the UK. Uh, she was outclassed by his intellect. Uh, now, someone who might have been more intellectual may have been able to argue yes. his points better. Exactly. Um, so that's one problem. We see the same thing Ramon's mentioned, the Daily Maverick gathering. Uh, you know, I, I don't think Ranjini Munsami is, is in the right uh, – League to have certain intellectual debates, not to mention that if she's sitting on a stage with Julius Malema, she fundamentally agrees with Julius Malema. So asking him about his Marxist socialist policies and why they would work here where they've never worked anywhere else in the world probably wouldn't occur to her. Or if it did, she'd go, well, that seems like a bad thing to ask. Um, So I think – um number one is we've got to get rid of the idiots um, uh, asking the questions. And number two is, is, uh, how do we get some of these people to engage? Because we complain on this show that we invite, um, you know, Mm. people who are are completely in disagreement with our uh, positions and they, they often don't come. Exactly. Um, and there is, see, for me, there's, there's two kinds of leftists. Okay. As speaking as, as someone on the right, um, the, the reality is, is that for me, there's people who are on the left. But they're ignorantly on the left, um, but they don't know that. Okay, so th- they believe these things because being on the left makes you feel good, uh, and I, 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 that's that's it's like they feel like they're better people. Like a friend of mine recently said to me, "Oh, you know, I fundamentally disagree with you on a lot of things," mm-hmm. and he's like basically into identity politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, but I think it's because I'm a better person, right? <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, I don't know what I must respond to that. Um, so there's those people, um, and I think they can be swayed. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Uh, sure. And, but then there's the other people who like know they're wrong, but they don't want to come and argue with you. Like I, I think that at some level, Julius knows he's full of shit, right? Yeah. I've always said he, all he wants is power. That's the truth. Absolutely. Um, but, Julius is smart he, enough to know. Sure. He must know that some of the stuff he sells yeah. is absolute rubbish. Yeah. So, so Julius isn't going to be the guy we get. Like, so these kind of polemic, vitriolic, uh, politicians are probably not the right audience. Sure. Uh, uh, right. Um, Debaters, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we really actually want intellectuals. And, you know, there's obviously a, you know, intellectual celebrity is also starved in this country, in this continent. I think it's, a, we need to get it going again. We need to make these people desirous to listen to. And I think this platform can do it. But, mm-hmm. but, Make intellectuals great again. Yeah, make intellectuals <laughs> great again. I love that. Let's make hats. Um, so, you know, I think, but going back to the, 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 the initial justification for my idea, which was telling in itself is that, um, this thing has to be positioned as a not for profit that ha- is not affiliated right or left. It has to be as pure and I'm doing my inverted commas as possible so that both all types of business can fund it. So the money's there. You take the profit motive out, out of it uh, out. So then the leftists will entertain coming there, and then we we stack the board, the executive committee, um, without needing them to do much work, with very strong intellectuals in themselves. So it's the way in which you and, I, and I've, I've chatted about this before. The way in which you position this thing, actually, the way in which you market it, is going to be critical, um, which is kind of ironic. But then if you set that up properly then you will have the best chance of getting these two sites to come in and um, talk and then establishing the rules so that the right and the left know that they will be heard. There is this organized framework and people can can vote. Um, I suspect there will be people on the left that don't want to be measured, you know, um, but, but so, so this idea needs work, I'm sure. But I think... If you can do this um, and you can put a lot of energy into maybe the first two or three, and of course you would architect it. You wouldn't allow just any intellectual on. They need to be articulate and they need to be prepared to fight intellectually for their ideas, not just be polemic like like Julius, right? 
um, then you can make this work. And uh, and then I think once you've got two or three that are successful, similar to the monk debates in Canada, you'll get momentum and this thing will become self-funding. You can build a, an apparatus around it that runs it properly without too much effort. Now, um, th- that's that's my thinking. But we come back to the critical need. You know, We need this because the ideas that are being put into policy documents, white papers and promulgated are dangerous. And yeah. that's the biggest issue. Yeah. And if we're creating shitty laws, we're going to have shitty outcomes. And I mean, you just, you could look, look at any vertical. I mean, education is a great start. We've got a huge problem coming. Yeah. Well, well first of all, I think you two are, are, are bashing the left a bit unfairly. Uh, people in general are tribal. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan, pe- sure. Me, I thought I was being quite nice. <laughs> no, you were being nice, but, uh, but it, it's not just, you know, the not-for-profit motive is not just to get the left on board. Because if you want them on board, you pay them exorbitant amounts of money and they'll say, and they'll come on anyway. Uh, no, that's a joke. But, <laughs> well, they are truths. <laughs> they are truths. I mean, the left presidents charge a lot more money for speeches than right-wing presidents uh, after they retire. That's actually true, right? Clinton, both Clintons have charged uh, more Well, Barack Obama got paid $60 million for his book. Yeah. $60 million. And half a million dollars for a speech. Don't you love capitalism? I love capitalism. I love, I mean, I because mean, there was a market for it. it you see? A, yeah. a leftist market, but a market. No, the people, the people that he bailed out... After, you know, at the beginning, and then now they're paying him back, uh, <laughs> once he's left office. But I think it's a good idea that what we need though is a very, very firm interlocutor in the middle. One person that understands the debate at hand and that prevents the, the debaters from going off course or creating divisions where none mm. are, are required at all. Well, we got a guy here. Gareth would be probably pretty good at that if he could. Sanitizing himself a tiny bit. He, he's actually very good at, at, at um, mediating uh, intellectual debates. He's actually very good. He is very good. He might actually. be seen as someone that's probably a little bit uh, unneutral. Is that a word? Um, but yeah, I, I agree. We do need someone that's that's got this um, intellectual integrity uh, without an agenda. That will be tough. Yeah, the, the, finding the, the mediator is, well, that whole point I made earlier it will be quite difficult um ah oh, now i've lost my thoughts it's, it's it's wandered off into the abyss but why do you think this hasn't been done before i mean some people have tried as we spoke about and to us they're, they're, they're failing miserably is it is it difficult or do you think people are interested in it so i think people yeah it's a great question i think the reason it hasn't so there's two questions there the reason it hasn't worked before is because usually there is a market pulling you in a direction and there'll be a strong desire to be pulled, sorry, into one way or another because mm. those incentives align with different pockets of money. And so that's why you get the, the, jo- the Joe Rogans and the, and the Shapiros and the Rubens and all of that. But then it, that money reinforces its target market and I feel like it becomes a bit of an echo chamber. So the biggest challenge in this is trying to keep this thing kind of um, apolitical in a way. Um, and then the second question is, is this is there a market for it? Do people care about this? I think there is enough people. So, so here is what I think. I think people need the heavy lifting done for themselves. And if you do it in the right way, people will listen. So pe- there's a big chunk of the population that I would argue is influential that actually wants to have the right ideas. But they're exhausted, they're tired, they can't go and read all of these books and, and, and have these complex thoughts because they've got a day job and family. So I think there are people that want to hear it as long as it's done in the right way. And you can't throw lefties into, you know, right-wing echo chambers and expect them to be um, convinced in any way. In fact, it'll reaffirm their beliefs and vice versa as well, which is why you need this this kind of middle state. So, yes, there is a demand – as long as it delivers some intellectual heavy lifting as the value for people that want to know. And I think there is enough of a – I absolutely believe there's enough of a uh, a big enough cohort there that can really influence where civilization or society, however you want to call it, goes. And I think that's really, really important. Okay, so now I remembered what I wanted to say, which is my concern is when we say – we use the word intellectuals uh, in terms of what does that mean? Because – I find myself uh, questioning the people who are our public intellectuals mm. quite often uh, 
whether they have any intellect. I mean, <laughs> you, uh, you, the the prime example I can think of in South Africa is someone like Pierre de Force. Mm. Um, I don't find him to be very intellectual. He intentionally misinterprets the constitution to fit his uh, agenda, um, uh, and 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 then uh, you know uses his sort of authority to try and ram down mm. the, I run a website called constitutionally speaking and I'm a constitutional law, something at some paid for chair at the use at UCT. Clearly I must know. Um, no, no, Pierre, you don't know. That's why you're not in a court. Mm. Um, but, but so I, this is my concern. My concern is I think a lot of the intellectuals are not public they're not in the public eye. I am quite skeptical of intellectuals who seek fame and attention. Um, I think I think that they are um, concerning. Um, so there are some examples on both sides. You know, you could argue Jordan Peterson seeking fame now. Uh, he's actually he has confronted that question. I heard it, it asked of him, and it was in a, um, a written article. And he basically had said, "Yeah, look, he's he's not big on the fame, and he has five people who hold him down and, and make sure he doesn't get arrogant and all of that. There is like close advisors type of thing. Uh, but he feels that it's important to spread the message because you know he feels there's a societal threat. That's his that's his um, view. And someone on the other side of the aisle might say the same thing." Mm. I just get uh, very concerned. You know, Twitter has done this. Uh, Twitter has, and now Instagram and everything. It's you've got to have a. It started off ten years ago as you've got to have a personal brand. You know, yes. Uh, and you've got to create this personal brand, and your personal brand. You, you can be just like Naki. Uh, you know, when people see you, they can think certain things and feel certain things. And so everyone started with their personal brand, and then we gave them the tool of Twitter, uh, and following that, Instagram, and we said. Yeah, not only have you created your personal brand, now you can spread it to millions of people. Mm. And I think that a lot of that doesn't allow for um, people to be honest about mm. who they are and their position. They're just presenting what they think the market wants to hear. Well, this is why I don't like talking heads. So I don't think – so what I'm really fatigued about is people with a great narrative and very strong selling skills – going and giving a presentation to an audience because I know that I possess a little bit of those skills. It's you, I, Rich Mulholland. <laughs> you know, and even myself, not even Rich, like people as low down as me have some of those skills that can present a narrative that convinces some people. And I'm not sure that is the right way to do it, right? So, um, and that's on the back of what you're saying. So, but to answer the question with regard to my idea or, or the idea that I'm talking about, it's not my idea as many people have done it, is that, it's not, it's not going to be perfect. Um, it's going to be really difficult to, to get it right, but that's not to say we shouldn't do it. Like the, to me, the stakes are getting so high that, the, you know, certain parts of liberal media are, are, are allowing a narrative to be formed. Like I think of my kids growing up now and they're just bombarded by this narrative. And I'm like, wow, it's going to take me so much effort to undo that. Yeah. There's, there's something wrong there. So, and then to answer your other part is, is, um, you know, I don't think it's necessarily bad to have a personal brand around this as long as it is underpinned by truth-seeking. No one gets everything right. But if you honestly want to find the right answer, I'm happy for you to build a brand and make money out of it. Um, I think the, 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 the right intellectuals are the ones that have this, 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 this desire to teach, and they get passionate about that. And if you hear people, intellectuals that are truth-seeking, trying to teach, and they get excited, that is amazing. That is how you shape nations. And so we would need to look for for intellectuals that are not necessarily not famous, but are, are ones that are that are known for truth-seeking. Yeah. And then if there's fame and glory and money on the back of that, I'm, I'm okay with that. Do you know a man called Tyler Cohen? Yes, economist, right? Right, economist. And he's got a, a podcast called Conversations with Tyler. And the man is one of the, is a polymath of note. You can speak to him about Greek architecture, uh, food processing, economics, history, culture, anything like that. And he has got absolutely nothing to sell. Mm. All he does is have conversations with people and he's never antagonistic. He's never rude. And all he does is, is just ask questions to very, very interesting people without trying to win. Mm. I think that's very, very important. Your debate is about trying to win. Or at least, at least there's a marker of winning, which is the votes. Yeah. Do you think that is, that could be a, 
Could that inhibit people from yeah. from participating? So that's up for debate, so to speak. Um, but no, seriously, I think. I, I, look, I, I'm amenable to this. I, th- I just think that, like, I, I'm a big believer in measuring this thing, I, and I would like to think that if you had an intellectual come along. Uh, work super hard and not win and not win by a long way, it might make that intellectual think a little bit harder about their views. And I think that would be a good result. Um, so there's also a peer, there's a peer pressure, right? Uh, well, yeah. So, exactly. so, so the thing is, I, I don't like the idea of, I know you, you know, we would disagree on this, Ramon, but I don't like ultimately the idea of not winning. Um, and winning doesn't necessarily mean one thing. So, uh, Rich, you're getting a second shout out on the podcast, but your victory position, right? So mm-hmm. you have to have a victory position. Everything has a victory position. When exactly. you ask, when you ask your wife, where do you want to go for dinner? That conversation has a victory position. Um, it, it doesn't mean both of you are going to win because you're both going to have dinner, right? Um, but the, the thing is, if you're saying there's a problem in our society in which we aren't having important conversations, mm-hmm. And when we don't have those important conversations, it has negative effects on all of us mm-hmm. because our lawmakers do stupid things. Um, then you have to – there has to be some sort of victory position involved I in agree. that. And I – I, I'm perhaps it's just a, a, an outlook in that Ramon may be more um, positive and, and optimistic. I don't believe um, giving ideas – yeah. Did you just call me optimistic? But perhaps My because goodness. next because, time, just call me a socialist. That's because, far better than because optimistic. The truth is, is I, from my perspective, I don't believe just putting ideas out into the ether necessarily um, changes what we want to change, especially when you start. And I want to get into this. You know, you talk about the influence of um, where our society is at the moment. And you say the liberal media, and I don't think it's fair to call them the liberal media anymore. I think both sides, I think it's the partisan media. Right, so I, I, it's it to me. Um, you have you have you know the American examples are easy to use because they're well delineated. But I suppose in South Africa we 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 could try use some examples. We could say, look, ETV sort of slightly left of center but closer to center, uh, and ENCA or whatever you want to call them. Um, the Daily Maverick has moved sort of firmly into left but not far left. Um, Huffington Post is far left, right? Then you've got on the right, what have you got? Marula Media Publications, um, Rational Standard, right? Smaller sort of entities. Business Day centrist. Centrist is Business Day, sure. Um, but I don't, so I don't think it, like it's liberal anymore or not liberal. I, you, you know, when you get American newspapers, uh, which are liberal, inverted commas, writing about how the, the, um, Republicans tried to, uh, take away women's rights to abort a baby after 20 weeks. It's not an irrational position, by the way. Most women actually agree that they shouldn't be able to abort their fetus after 20 weeks. If you can't make up your mind whether you want the thing after four months, five months, then guess what? You're keeping it. Like, you had five months to decide. Like, it's not an unreasonable position to take. Um, whatever you feel on the abortion argument. Um, so I just, I just find that it's, it's, it's partisan media. And what I really want to get into is what do you, what scares you about what your kids are being exposed to or taught or reading? I mean, I, I've decided, like, that cosmopolitan will never come into my house. Like it's just, it will not happen. Don't you just want to ask the question? So that's the, What's question. the question. Okay. Well, firstly, I, I think I disagree with you on this partisan media. I still sure. think, and, and the reason for that is because I think the Western media, the American media, um, influences all of us here in many ways mm. that are not necessarily obvious like it, but if you follow the money like google here as well google and facebook are sucking up all the ad dollars and so um like in a massive way and so you would then ask yourself well if that's the case then perhaps our uh, south african um news platforms aren't don't have a particularly influential position, right? That's what I would argue. So my premise is that I think it's still the West. Um, and if you look at the Western media, the narrative there, which is actually not a, not on the surface, not a bad narrative. It's a, it's a social justice narrative. It's like, let's do right by people. Um, has been co-opted because it is a good position ostensibly. And so the liberal media have taken this position and making it, and, and made it the basis of the, of the entire, of their entire philosophy. Now the problem with that obviously is if you start going and unpacking it, uh, even at a surface level, it's like, well, how are you going to pay for all of that? Um, 
oh, right, you don't really understand macroeconomics and how an economy works, so you actually won't have the money to do any of that. So let's be more pragmatic and let's go and do stuff that we can actually build and do. Um, so, And that's the problem. And, and this social justice narrative, um, while at the surface is decent, it becomes the brand of the individual. They, they are then able to project that without actually making themselves better. Um, and this has a whole bunch of really bad unintended consequences, not least of which pushing the right so far right that you give airtime to the, these kind of, um, crazies, uh, on the far right. Uh, and, and this is exactly what happens. It pushes the two sides further apart and, there's no conversation happening there. And if there's no conversation, you're not having, you're not getting to the truth. The truth then sits in small pockets of people. Um, and they become echo chambers. And, and even though it's the truth, if it sits in an echo chamber, it doesn't impact society enough. And so that's my problem. Well, it's a long winded answer, but that's my view. It was on a long winded question. <laughs> that certainly was. Uh, this one, this one isn't though. Um, it would be really, really nice to have a conversation about, the very popular policies of the political parties, um, which and they all so, sort of overlap with each other. If you put the, the DA manifesto and the ANC manifesto, it's eighty percent the same thing. EFF is not not quite there. To be very interesting to have a debate whereby you ask people watching, and hopefully it's you know hundreds of thousands of people watching, and and people debating the point and then voting on whether policy is actually what they actually want as the audience members. That will be very interesting and illuminating to see how popular political policies actually are because there's no way to actually – there's no feedback loop there yeah. with, with, with macro policy. I think there's a lot of spinoffs exactly like this and, and even post-production making it more mass market. So you could take that intellectual, um, you know, whatever, two hours and you could actually pocket um, – you know, uh, packetize it and put it through distribution channels and then at least have, and have the differing points of view in sound bites, at least have the conversation being spread via mass media rather than, than this extreme, these extreme narratives, which I find they can even be truthful, but even if they are, there's, there's not enough momentum to really, uh, shape shift, uh, the society where, where I think it needs to go. So how do we get this started, Justin? It's just an idea in my head for now. I got to do some, get some work done over the next month or so. But if there's a few people have reached out on the back of my tweets, and I'm having chats with them, some influential people. There's some interesting ideas that people have been working on that would, it looks like it would augment with this this idea in a great, in in a really powerful way. Um, There's also been some money people that have come to me and said they're prepared to fund this again under the premise that it is kind of apolitical. Sure. Or whatever. Um, so, look, I'm hoping to keep having these conversations and then let's, like, maybe put something, some kind of plan in place towards the end of February, beginning of March. And, yeah. Because what, we, what, what I would personally like to see from this is to have those, those young intellectuals elevated to a degree where people actually know them. Because I think there's, there yes. are hundreds of people or thousands even around the country with no audience whatsoever. Who have something to say and something that exactly. is, that is, that is, uh, fundamentally, uh, interesting that people will value and they can actually, um, you know, illuminate the truth for all of us. But those people have no audience whatsoever. Exactly. I think both of you actually hit on something really powerful. If we can, was a make intellectuals great again. Like if we can create a, um, you know, not, for want of a better word, not a rock star class, but a, like a sought after class that are intellectuals, even if they're, no, no matter if they're right or left, I think that is a very, very good thing. Absolutely, I would love that. We don't have well, bring the enlightenment back. We right? don't have Christopher Hitchens. We don't have public intellectuals. Well, this is what universities have actually done. It's, it's weird because no, don't blame people all the time. We're trying to be a positive force. Mm, here, no, me not so much. Um, <laughs> universities have or were meant to be the spaces of intellectuals, and they were for quite some time. They still are. Um, you just and, disagree with them. No, no, there are plenty of intellectuals. I'm. Um, Literally an employee of a university as an academic. So I, I, I can't uh, completely say that, you know, there are great people involved in universities, but, um, they, they aren't sort of the leaders in, um, providing society with, um, intellectual content. Yeah, but there's two, two very different skill sets though. <clears throat> in, in terms of? Well, intellectuals are about theory. About writing books, about writing articles, mm. they're not there to to lead the charge to save civilization. It's a different skill, a different well, skill set, different mindset. Well, yeah, we can empower them to be so. Mm. 
Well, it, it, at times they've empowered themselves. I mean, the, you know, you, you, some universities have taken it on themselves to be both intellectual and ac- activist in, in their roles at times. Um, I, I, to just, be, just yeah. be very clear, I see it as the same thing. I see intellectuals as the baton carriers or baton carriers, as you South Africans say. Yeah. Um, Don't worry, for, we're going to get into this Australian for, issue. For civilization, they are. There's no, there's no reason, there's no reason for intellectual existence unless they are. Absolutely none. From science yeah, through have, to philosophy. They have to contribute. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they are the, the baton carriers for civilization in my view. So to me, they're the same thing. Um, I think what's happened with universities is this social justice narrative and, and identity politics has become so caustic that it's this whole, you know, this whole freedom of speech is broken. Yeah. And it's becoming, you know, forcing us to become more, more parted in our thinking. And, and, and the sad thing is it's a tyranny of the minority. I mean, if you, I would yeah. suspect if you actually go speak to people who are in the humanities, if you, are, you speak to academics who do philosophy and you speak to them privately, they'll be like, well, I don't agree at all with, with the narrative of the university. But if I, if I say anything, yeah, big I, trouble. My, my, you know, my class gets firebombed, so I may as well just shut up and, and act along. And all that, yeah. yeah. But if we can give them power yeah. through debate and through public speaking, that will be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's a big problem. I so think it's. How do you? All right, let's let's talk quickly on identity politics. So, yeah. so um, if you piss off the wrong people here, uh, there will always be people who don't want this to happen, or or, mm. or might be against the idea of of open debate. Um, uh, they're going to come down on you on identity politics. So, this this guy from from Australia, uh, I assume that's where you're originally from. Mm. Um, you know, and, and a white male, of course. And, uh, you know, how do you, how, how do, because that's, it's, that is a, an inevitable narrative mm. when you're doing anything these days. It's, it's either, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your identity is. If, if, uh, if you're a white male, well, then that's, that's not a great posse to be in. Um, but it, equally, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a woman and you were friends with a guy who's now being caught for sexual harassment, you're screwed because of that. Mm. Um, your, your identity is inevitably against you because that's how we now play the game. Um, yeah, so the way I would do that is I wouldn't have my face or name attached to this idea at all. And look, it's sad to to say to, to have to think about that stuff, but it is a reality in which I exist and I'm pragmatic enough to understand that. And I would... Uh, you know, the idea, I, this is not something I want to own and make myself famous with. This is something that, you know, it was, it stemmed from going, Oh my God, my kids are going to grow up having this mass media narrative that I'm going to have to undo. Uh, and I'm really worried about that. Um, and I can see, you know, fast forward to my kids, you know, two decades. If we keep going along this, this, if we keep promulgating around this narrative that's out there, civilization's got a huge problem. Um, so I'm reading this book at the moment called Evicted by a guy called Matthew Desmond, won Pulitzer, uh, the Pulitzer last year. It's an inc- incredibly sad book, but incredibly powerful. And it is the, the outcome of, this social justice narrative and, and, and this chasm between right and left. There is this poverty trap where, where these people cannot get out of this, this social housing system. Um, and the reason this thing can't change is because the two sides actually can't talk to each other because it's just, it's either a black white thing or it's a poor rich thing or a top 1% thing or whatever. Um, but, but, it, but it's so tragic. And this is a, you know, I think a harbinger of, of, of where Western civilization can go. So if you start unpacking these things, it, it becomes, well, for me, very concerning, right? So there is actually a big problem to solve. So I am irrelevant and I need to ensure that, you know, like I'm a marketer as well. I, I will ensure that this thing is positioned in a way that is not threatening and least identity politically driven as possible. Yeah. Yeah, Seems I can't like take a problem with that. And I would love to see someone who believes in identity politics come on, debate, and, and lose quite quite strongly uh, according to the votes before and after the the debates and hopefully it'll change their minds I, I doubt it but it will show the wider the wider audience and the wider people watching that these ideas especially identity politics are, are very middle class educated ideas mm. they, they do not at all represent the the greater people within this country uh, you know I was on a farm in Limpopo last week and I speak to the guys who live there and if you told them anything about 
a white privilege. No idea. Tell them about rainfall and the Latin names mm. of trees and things like that. Oh, they're in the element. They know exactly what you're talking about. But these greater power dynamics mm. of the cities in tertiary, in, in universities as well, they have absolutely no clue and they don't want to know because mm. they don't care. But in a way, the intellectuals have a responsibility to those people because, because they've chosen a vocation that needs to help shape uh, the way in which we live. Whereas the farmers in Limpopo, they have a very important vocation too, which is, you know, providing the uh, staple of commodities to keep us alive, you know. So everyone has their own roles and, you know, what have you. I, yeah, I, I don't think that precludes the need for this. Um, in many not. ways, yeah, in many ways, it's more important that we have the right custodians of civilization because right now I don't think we do. I want to give one example. I was just thinking about it from the book I read. So the whole there's this whole social housing thing in America um, that that protects essentially, um, you know, predominantly black women looking after lots of kids. Um, but one of, and so this is a, this is on the surface a very very good thing to do. We we need to protect those elements of society and allow them to to kind of um, save and and break through out of the property trap. But one of the things that's super interesting, like it's just one nuance in this, is that if that lady calls the nine one one more than three times in one month, there is this um, uh, federal or this this housing nuisance act. That says if you call them more than three times in a month, your landlord that gets put on notice and says your house is a, is a nuisance, um, and there's massive fines on the back of that. That causes the landlord to evict the individual. Now, what happens is these women are the people who have signed for the rent because they're the most um, they've got all the paperwork in place. But they'll have the boyfriends or the husbands, uh, and there'll be there's tremendous violence because there's a lot of drugs in this this element in this part of um, the world. Now. What happens is when there's drugs, there's 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 an increased propensity for violence. There's an increased propensity for nine one one calls, and so what ends up happening? The most vulnerable now, if you play that out, become evicted. Sure. And so you know, and this is caused because people are saying we need to protect these elements of society without actually understanding the incentives and the dynamics there. And and that's why we need to have these conversations. We need to have these conversations that, yeah, this is the right thing to do, but is that the right way to do it? Uh, but you just can't have these conversations. And it's become so endemic and, you know, uh, in certainly in America that there is just no way to get out of this poverty trap. And these people are having more children than everyone else, so it's becoming a bigger burden on society, and, and the pain and suffering is just through the roof. And ironically, it is being enshrined uh, unfortunately, by the left and the inability to have these conversations yeah, under the cover of care. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's you know, that example, and there's many of them, is when uh, trying to help actually harms, and that's you know exactly the, the the reason you need social housing for women who have many kids and and no one to support them is all harks back in the United States at least to basically massive social security nets being set up. Um, specifically targeting black communities and creating an, a lot of externalities. And, and one of those externalities is the government will look after you. So I, as the father of your child, don't have to. So cheers, I'm out. Um, that's been shown in data. So, you know, if you disagree with me, please go read Thomas Sowell or, uh, or a number exactly of people right. have and written it, on it. And it's self-perpetuating, yeah. Yeah. So, I, the, and I think those are some of the issues. You know, often we find ourselves debating within like a topic, whereas the broader issue is, is, is actually not even confronted. So now we could have a debate about like whether that 911 rule should be in place, which yep. it shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, that's ridiculous. Calling for help gets you evicted ultimately. That's, yeah, the, exactly. that's the result. And someone thought they were being helpful because they were like, we're going to pass a 911 law because if we keep getting these phone calls and it takes up a lot of like resource yep. and um, it's unnecessary. So what we'll do is we'll make this law and then that'll cause the landlords to make their general environment exactly. around their property better. But it doesn't do that, no. right? It just makes them go, oh, the person who called 911 must get the hell out. Mm-hmm. So someone who comes in doesn't call 911. Um, it actually pushes up rents, by the way. It increases artificial demand. Yes. It creates artificial demand, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's so, and the unintended consequences are perverse with this identity 
politics and social justice politics. Like, I get where it comes from. It's got good intent to yeah, the absolutely. surface, but the unintended consequences are just fucked. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but both sides, like, so conservatives want you to be um, uh, individually accountable, and they yeah. feel if through individual accountability and those principles, um, you will be happier. Right? They think that that will create happiness. Mm-hmm. And social justice warriors or social justice individuals or whatever they like to be called yeah. um, will say, well, I want to help the needy and, and the needy need to be helped because, well, they're needy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and both can lead to, you know, externalities that, are, that, 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 that you don't want. But the point is, is that instead of debating that 911 law, we should debate how did we even get to this exactly. point? Like what has caused this? The, the, you're right. I think about America. They're never going to get out of this because they don't have that debate anymore. They don't ask, let's talk yeah. about the social safety net that we've created, what that has caused in terms of the way people behave in reaction to yeah. that, in terms of the way that manipulates the economics, in terms of all of these things that happen. And, and the reason why, um, for all the good that America can say and the stock market and the good things, you know, Trump was going on about, um, black unemployment recently. The truth be told is that the one population that hasn't really been lifted out of poverty are those sort of black ghettos. Like that hasn't changed. People who live there, their grandparents live there. They now live there. Their kids live there. Um, and, and that's got to do with a fundamental concept, which no one wants to talk about. I agree. And I think we need a, and, and no one's going to, crack it every time that's why you need to have this con- perpetual debate and be ability and the ability to kind of shift laws as these mm. unintended consequences become I, more surfaced i mean i'm just thinking south africa where that translates is um, title deeds you know i have this I, i've repeatedly seem to have to have this argument with people um, middle class people as ramon talks about you know um who 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 are like who are well educated i mean the one guy i had a conversation with was a ca and i said to him well you should give people title deeds um you know if you want to fix townships and you want to make them better mm-hmm. and you you know you you don't want them to be shanty towns basically ultimately give them title deeds mm-hmm. and he goes yeah but then they'll just like um you know they'll just sell their property for like other things and i'm like Exactly, <laughs> right? Um, no, but the, but the but the the contempt of the middle class for the poor is is, is a well known well known so, issue, so, and that and that happens a lot more, and that funds and that um, creates a lot of policy mm. in the country that 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 no one really talks about. But the contempt for the for the working class, I'm, I'm not sure it's always huge. contempt. I think there's also some ignorance. You, you know, I uh, I'm part of the middle class, um, but. I have spent my most of my working career working in lower class communities, lower class hospitals, so to speak, um, and 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 so I spent most of my adult life in those areas. Uh, and I often will be at a dinner table or in a conversation with people who never go sort of south of Rivera Road in Johannesburg and sort of too far north of William Nickel. Um, you know, unfortunately, if that's the bubble you live in, mm. then the perceptions are often quite similar. Um, as I imagine, uh, if you live in Kwakwa uh, and never go out of Kwakwa, your attitudes might yeah. be quite similar as well on the, the other side of the spectrum. So, which is the role of the media, right? Because yeah. you're not going to get this this middle class um, angst abated by getting them out. You know, south of Rivera Road. Yeah. Um, it needs to be done by the media. And that's why I think the idea that we were talking about is interesting because that is the platform of discussion to educate. And, mm. and that just doesn't exist so at the moment. Not always contempt, just sometimes people don't know. Like they have no exactly, exposure, yeah, none. Agree. Like they just, they don't get. It's contemptuous <laughs> ignorance. If you worry about how people spend, how poor people spend their money, you're an arrogant prick. Simple as that. I don't care if you're ignorant. <laughs> if, if you don't give money to beggars because you worry they might buy drugs, you're an arrogant prick. Sorry. Simple as that. You see, I don't think that's arrogance, but um, it's a point. It's just a, it's a no, personal point. You're saying you're better than them. So, so the. Because you would spend money on feeding your child. All humans think they're better than some people. There's that. No. I don't think you give it. So if that's arrogance, then everyone is arrogant. But for the debate, it'd be very interesting to have a working class person. Maybe not give, yeah, maybe not within, idea. maybe not within the debate itself. Or maybe with him, maybe you just give a speech before the debate or, or after the debate. Have a, have a working class person come on. Have someone's domestic worker come on and say, these are my views. This is what I would like to achieve. And the best way to achieve that, I think, is this way to do it. And, uh, watch people, watch people change immediately because it's a poor person 
saying what they want, and that is very, very rare. Yes, one of the biggest problems here, though, is having the middle class is probably the bigger voting block, and so then the question is, why, if if they're so ignorant, why are they so opinionated? Yeah, because that's the danger. The danger is when you have this big voting block that has a very firm view, but with very little understanding. Or desire to understand. Well, that's the patriarchy. I'm gonna, <laughs> I put it out there. I mean, the, the truth is, is that the, I think that people who are educated generally think they know better for people who are less educated. And there is a, sort of a, a gap created between wealth and, and, and the poor where people who have money think that they know what's best for those who don't have money. Mm. Um, and I think that's the, that's and it's the all about working hard, true grit and 18 hour days for like 10 years. Then you'll make it. Bullshit. Come on. It's ridiculous. Sure. Don't go too much against free market principles, Ramon. Those are free market principles. Well, in a pure free market, then working hard will get you where you want to get. Because if you don't, if you don't think working hard in your current spot will get you there. Working hard is underrated. To another, another spot. Sure. Working smart, all that. uh, What's it? Tony Robbins. No, it's creating Um, value for others. Very simple. But nevertheless. uh, So we got, okay. Well, my last question really. Um, when can we get started? Yeah, like I'm gonna, I'm hopefully gonna lean into this thing kind of end of February once I've got some key things. At the moment, uh, work is taking up a hell of a lot of my time. Uh, I've got some big projects, big deals that are going through, but I having cursory conversations and I'm, I'd be happy to include you guys. I think it'd be amazing. I think you guys are, um, well, you guys were certainly the inspiration for, for actually thinking about doing this. Obviously, you guys take very firm positions that we would need well, to soften. One of us to, does. to allow to allow these. I know uh, a, he's so rigid in his anarchist beliefs. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, I think I'd love to have you guys involved. I'd love to actually open this up. This is not my idea. This is an idea that's been that that is sent, you know is other people's ideas that I think we need to rebirth. I think the the art of debate has been lost, and I think the art of debate is what's going to get us closer to the truth. Cool. Uh, yeah, I cannot fundamentally disagree with any of that. The good, the, the, these are the principles of the show. When we started, I must be honest, we were maybe a little bit reactionary. <laughs> Just a bit. When we started. And now, like, after, it's almost a three year anniversary or two year anniversary. I can't remember. Two year Two year anniversary. Calm down. And since then, I mean, we've softened the hub a lot and uh, we just enjoy having good debates to try and find the truth on each episode of the podcast. And if you can just emulate that and put that out to a much wider audience than us, I don't know how, because we're the most downloaded weekly podcast in the country. You're amazing. Uh, it will be great <laughs> for that to happen. Ah, uh, goodness. All right. So uh, if you would like to uh, help fund the most downloaded weekly podcast in the country, you can find us on Patreon. Um you can find our guest today on Twitter at Justin Spratt. When uh, Twitter does discover that he wants to have open debate, they will take away that verified tick that he has next to his name. Um, but uh, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. But thanks for having me. It's been amazing. Awesome. And uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook. Join the group, not just follow the page. A Renegade Report group, really good discussions on there, uh, including occasionally by the ladies. We had a question the other day if it's only men who talk about stuff on this group, and uh, since then we've had more women involved, so that's nice. Uh, and on Twitter, at Renegade underscore Report. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. This is cliffcentral.com.